This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. From the leader of the official opposition to the NDP's Jagmeet Singh, for years politicians have used TikTok to connect with voters. We're making the decision that uh, for government uh, employees, for government equipment, um, it is better uh, to not have them access TikTok uh, because of the concerns uh, that people have in terms of safety. Hours later, Quebec announced the same thing for its government phones. There are similar bans in place at the European Commission, the European Council, and in the United States, they're actually debating a bill that would ban it for everyone. That's like 330 million people. TikTok has been very much in the spotlight, and not just because it's an enormously popular app with significant market impact on other video streaming apps and services. According to the government, there are concerns regarding links between TikTok and the Chinese government, which in turn raises concerns about security and user privacy. That has led to bans of the TikTok app on government devices, not only at the federal level, but at provincial and municipal governments, and even at universities for university-owned devices. But is TikTok unique in this regard? How to reconcile the government's insistence that TikTok contribute to CanCon in Bill C-11 with it banning the app due to security risks? Are the privacy concerns more about TikTok or the government's inaction on privacy reform? Fenwick McKelvey is an associate professor in information and communication technology policy in the Department of Communication Studies at Concordia University and the co-director of the Applied AI Institute. He returns to the Law Bites podcast to talk about the TikTok bans, the state of Canadian policy in addressing the concerns, and why we may be headed for more geopolitical battles over digital policy. Benwick, welcome back to the podcast. Michael, so good to be here. All right. I'm really glad you're back again. Uh, and this time talking about TikTok, which of course has been in the spotlight for several reasons in, in recent weeks and months. For one thing, it is enormously popular as anyone who is certainly as kids knows, but it's not just about kids anymore uh, with significant market impact uh, on other video streaming apps and services. But of course, for another, there are concerns about its links to the Chinese government, to security, to user privacy related issues. And so I want to get into the response in Canada. We started to see federally, provincially, and as we record this even today, locally, the city of Ottawa has now created a TikTok ban. Uh, but before we do that, let's set the foundation for discussion first. You know, just how popular is TikTok? And, and I guess, why is it so popular? Well, TikTok really blew up, as best as I can tell, after the pandemic, where you had people you know, looking around, looking for content, and really it exploded in popularity. The best data that we've come out has come from TMU, which says that TikTok's popularity has tripled in Canada. 29% of Canadians are using it. That is one proxy for what I feel in every day, which is that really the conversation about social media in my classroom with my students has shifted from Facebook and Instagram to TikTok. It's the first platform people talk about. It's really what's in the popular discussions it's where you see the jokes being made so i think we're trying to measure what what is really a quite a ubiquitous and pretty significant sizable change i think if we're thinking about the history of social media we've had facebook we've had instagram youtube and tiktok i think the shift to tiktok has been really quite rapid 
why did why did that happen? I think that's the question I always I'm always trying to figure out is what has made TikTok so successful. Certainly, it's like Vine and prior social media that was based on sharing short snippets of video. The part of it to me, I think, is that certainly there was the pandemic. It also became fashionable. And I really think it's important to think of social media success as being as much a cultural change as a technological one. I just think people bought into it. The last thing I wanted to say, and I thought this would be interesting for listeners of the show, is that I think there's a big remix culture component to what made TikTok so successful, especially in the start where you had, it was an app for sharing dance moves to popular songs. I think they had had a bit more permissive approach to copyright. And so it became a place where people could remix and participate in culture in ways they couldn't in other platforms. And I think that became a really foundation of why it was attractive at the start. A lot of performers like Megan Thee Stallion and other really worked on building their brand and their reputation through sharing these dance moves on the site. And I think that that's part of the story is about how fans and desires to actually participate in, in culture really drove, I think, the early adoption of TikTok. That's a really interesting observation. We've been talking about that kind of participation and culture and what and the impact copyright can have now for the better part of two decades. And it's interesting to see the impact that it had on, on a site or service like TikTok. Now, a lot of the concerns, or at least some of the concerns, certainly involve its ownership structure, um, and in particular, its links or the view that it has links to the Chinese government. Can, can you describe uh, what those might be? Well, this is a tad hazy, but the best that I can understand is that TikTok is owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance. And there's a ByteDance is an equivalent version of TikTok that runs in China. And that there is basically the ownership structure is, is in China. And there are questions about how that data gets shared and circulated. If you look on TikTok's privacy policy, it admits that we may share information with other members, subsidiaries, or affiliates of our corporate group to provide platform, including improving and optimizing the platform, preventing illegal use, and supporting users. So there's some sense that there's a data sharing agreements taking place that could have data being moved. TikTok claims that its servers are located in Singapore and the United States. It doesn't say they have any servers located in Canada. It's hard to tell for sure because they're using Cloudflare. And so it's hard to know exactly where their servers are located. But the the likelihood is that, yeah, it's a company that has some presence or some influence by its Chinese ownership structure. And there's always, I think, a persistent belief or a persistent concern about the, the, the nature of state surveillance and state intervention in it's social media. And certainly that's something that's true domestically. It's an open question about how much this is actually interfering with a global company like TikTok. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Now, the, the, the questions around those issues, around the links to the Chinese government, surveillance and the like, have been going back, date back for some time now, at least certainly to the Trump administration, who considered a ban several years ago. I did, I remember years ago, a podcast with Anupam Chander uh, on specifically the Trump administration battling with TikTok. You know, what sparked that and and how did it resolve it? The issue kind of seemed to go away, perhaps going away with the Trump administration itself. Well, this is where it's a weird deja vu because the Trump campaign, you know, the Trump administration was very anti-TikTok for a time. And it's strange to see their, you know, the, the new class of politicians kind of adopting a similar type of rhetoric, kind of anti-China rhetoric. And I think that that's an important part of trying to understand what's going on in TikTok is really 
it's become a proxy for these deeper concerns. And I see certainly a lot of the the worry we have through these kind of persistent leaks that are from CSIS that are kind of driving concerns about foreign interference. And that kind of played up in the Trump administration. So as far as I can tell, Trump leaned into that, was trying to say, was threatening to ban TikTok. Some people have said this might have been because TikTokers tried to intervene in one of his campaign rallies and bought up all the tickets and stopped him from having a sold out crowd. So some examples of whether TikTok was being used for online activism against Trump might have fueled some of the resentment. But whatever the case was, Trump was pretty adamant about trying to get TikTok either banned or what he was really looking at was trying to sell TikTok. And so there was a time, if we remember back, where TikTok was going to be sold to Microsoft in a buy that would have made it or made it an American company. And that kind of fizzled with Trump's election loss. And kind of, it's funny because the thread kind of died, but there was this play where there was a push to have TikTok become an American company. Yeah, no, that's that's a good, it's an interesting recollection. And and you're right. It did, uh, you did see that play out and then kind of fizzle, but it's certainly back. And we've seen governments, number of governments around the world, and now certainly playing out in Canada looking to ban TikTok or at least ban certain aspects or use of TikTok for the moment on government devices in particular, started with the federal government and in rapid order has spread provincially to include Quebec. And now just in the last couple of days, uh, Ontario, and as, as I mentioned, even now in cities like the city of Ottawa, what do these bans look like and, and what do they cover? Well, it's a strange move because what they're trying to do is ban so this social media platform on devices owned or monitored by the, the company. So it's kind of like a, a basically a, an institutional corporate move. You shouldn't be using this if you if it's on a device. It comes in a strange thing because TikTok is really immensely popular. It's popular for very good reasons. It's a great app. People love using it. It's got a really rich culture there. I think it's really important. I think there's lots of interesting creators using TikTok. And, you know, I want to, one of the things to kind of emphasize is that it's a really vibrant place and people like using it. So people are using it at work. And often you'd have bans for saying, well, don't waste time. Don't, you know, don't goof off on social media on company time. Here we have something different where it's that there's a perceived cybersecurity risk. It's a bit vague what that cybersecurity risk is, and you're not allowed to use it. And that kind of has cascaded, as you say, from the federal level all the way down. And there's something that's impacted me as a researcher at a university in Quebec. We're no longer allowed to use TikTok on our devices that are supported or sponsored by the university. Yeah, that's wild. And I want to come back to, to, to how it's now filtered right down even to the university environment in just a little bit. But first, what's the what rationale has been given for the ban? You mentioned some references to cybersecurity. Do you know, have, has there been a, a more detailed justification around the ban that you've seen? Well, I think there's a few moves that have happened. One that I'd like to flag is that the Office of the Privacy Commissioner, as well as its equivalents in Quebec, British Columbia, and Alberta, have, have filed a joint investigation against the TikTok applications. So that happened on February 23rd. And details about that are, aren't clear. They claim it's in the wake of settled class action lawsuits in the United States and Canada, as well as me numerous media reports related to TikTok's collection, use, and disclosure of personal information. This is something they've done for other platforms like Facebook, notably. There was a prolonged investigation by the OPC into Facebook. So this is one piece of the puzzle. Most of the claims that I have read really cite directives from the Chief Information Officer of Canada, which say that 
subject to uh, review that it, TikTok has an unacceptable level of risk to privacy and security. There's also some directives that that state generally concerns about installing social media on their devices. It's hard for me, and I think this is something I struggle with because th there is no compelling evidence that TikTok is dramatically worse than other social media platforms in its data collection, which is not to say that's a good thing. I think there's a general problem about data collection around apps and social media, but it's hard to know exactly what set this bar apart other than claims that there's been some sort of review that's prompted both the OPC as well as concerns from the Chief Information Officer of Canada. Okay, and, and so you've touched on where I wanted to go, but just to, to emphasize this point, you, you, to your knowledge, there isn't a big difference between, at least in the public space at this stage, a big difference between the privacy and security concerns that you might find with TikTok and those that exist, let's say, on Facebook or a bunch of other social media apps. We know there are very real concerns around the state of Canadian privacy law, but the notion that somehow TikTok is in, the, in this whole other league that requires sort of an app banning, as we've started to see. Is, is, is there evidence to suggest that's the case, or it's just we're seeing governments kind of pile on? Well, there's certainly the pile on. That's the thing I want to emphasize, is that this happened really quick. And for both of us, we probably joke about how stalled and slow Canada has been about reforming its privacy laws. And yet it can move pretty quick about banning an app for reasons that is, have as much to do with anything about worried about Chinese interference than anything about, I can tell, about privacy and security issues. What I, what I take is that I do want to be conscious that it's a, it's a pretty problematic landscape. We have two major firms, Apple and Google, who really are responsible for protecting the security of billions of users with how they monitor their devices and how they protect privacy in those devices. Google is also an advertising company. And there's been moves and investigations that, that these platforms have issues about how well they're securing their devices and what type of information can leak or can leak for those devices. Apple's been a bit more proactive. And one of the real fights right now is between Apple and Facebook because Apple has been trying to claw back some of the data sharing it allows for advertisers like Facebook. So in one sense, the, the real issue with TikTok is that we have an app that's really potentially taking advantage of, of, of poor stewardship of consumer data by major platform providers on top of a privacy regime that doesn't have the power to actually compel or fine or punish effectively bad actors. And so TikTok to me is kind of this omega point for privacy law in Canada, where we've let it atrophy so badly, we don't have confidence in the platform providers, nor in our privacy law to protect an app like TikTok from becoming massively popular and used by millions of Canadians. And so instead we are resorting to a ban because of this inability of saying, well, we know for sure that there wouldn't be some bad uses of how an app could use and be used in your phone, nor do we know that we have a privacy commissioner that's going to be able to evict, uh, investigate these types of technologies in a timely fashion. And, and that really, to me, is the big takeaway is that if we have concerns about TikTok, it's less about TikTok than the whole infrastructure that we have for evaluating the security and protection of personal information by social media apps. And, and that's the part I think is really missing. 
is that TikTok is just representative of a much bigger problem. And by focusing just on TikTok, we miss that bigger picture. I think that's an exceptionally important point, but it, it it's not just even that that the that you know we've seen the atrophy of Canadian privacy law that Bill C twenty seven the legislation designed to update or modernize Canadian privacy law has languished now really for years uh, as not a particularly significant priority for the government. But it's notable that the government itself cited concerns about Canadian privacy safeguards for the ban. You know, it, it really does raise the question. You know, isn't that the government's own doing? You know, if we have this privacy problem. Isn't it the government itself that bears responsibility to try to fix it? Oh, I think obviously, yeah. And I think what's really to make a point is that how do we get here? Like TikTok didn't happen overnight. TikTok happened. It's the third or fourth generation of a social media platform. It's certainly comes late into the app game. So there's nothing to say that we couldn't see the signals for TikTok or a re a, a if we're genuinely concerned about what TikTok could do, we knew all that before TikTok became so popular. So why has there not been, say, a deeper investigation into many of the kind of issues that are underlying these concerns? Data collection. I mean, certainly that's when one of the biggest pushes about how much the online economy is ad-driven, the data collection required for that. There hasn't been movement on really trying to ban or deal with the kind of consequences of an ad-driven digital economy. Some of these other questions about, you know, content, data collection, privacy in terms of social media use, little movement on that. So the fact that TikTok's come about, really, if we're concerned about it, that it's because the government hasn't done enough well before TikTok to deal with issues like it. Yeah, no, I think you're right. You know, I think, you know, it, as part of that kind of sort of head spinning inconsistency, not only has the government not acted on Canadian privacy reform, but it sometimes feels as if they they want to profit from the the failure to act from weak privacy laws. And, and I you know I've tried to make the case that you see that where you know the same government that is banning TikTok is also looking to TikTok to contribute to Canadian culture. They want mandated payments to support CanCon. They want the discoverability requirements. We even seen Senator Paula Simons say that she was told by heritage officials that. There's the poss possibility of extending something even like Bill C-18, the news bill, to TikTok. In other words, the same act that the government is banning and saying is, is insecure and raises concerns for its employees to use sits squarely at the heart of Canadian cultural policy as, a, as an important funding source and discoverability, discoverability mechanism. Uh, I guess, you know, how do we square that circle or can we even square that circle? Yeah, I think that that really points at this contradiction that I have, too, is that either TikTok is a good faith actor, which can participate in these policy hearings. And, and while I have concerns about both the app and, and privacy and data collection in general, I don't have any evidence that they're more they're, they're deceptive or participating in bad faith. But yet that's kind of that that one of the it can be one of those two things. You can't ban the app because it's of threat to national security and then build the next generation of cultural policy around it. Like it's one of the two. And I find that very hard to square. And I th certainly think that it's one thing that there should be more coordination on. And I think certainly if we see TikTok as being important for Canadian culture, as you say, with C11, then why isn't greater protection of privacy being built into C11? Why isn't there more evidence to say that they were taking these matters more seriously? Instead, we have this strange, contradictory approach right now where we have TikTok 
being seen to be threatening, but not in ways that actually would lead to the protection of Canadians outside of these kind of key institutions that are acting on it. That's an interesting point. Now, another element to the to the business side, at least of TikTok, of course, is advertising. And, you know, as the, the ban extends beyond government devices, we've seen the Ontario government announce a halt to advertising on TikTok during uh, the hearing with Google at the Canadian Heritage Committee over uh, Bill C-18 and news links. That issue, that question was raised as well about the prospect of government stopping to advertise on Google in, in light of the, the controversy associated with its actions in that legislation. So we're starting to see these kinds of calls come more frequent. You know, do, do you have some thoughts on that? Should the government be taking the position that, you know, if, if it thinks these sites or services are harmful, that it doesn't advertise on them? Or is it the case that this is where Canadians are? If advertising is about communicating and reaching those Canadians, then you've got to reach them where they are. Well, it would have been nice to see some of this these threats a bit earlier, certainly when there was concerns about Facebook and its involvement in, in, in leaking privacy data and the kind of Cambridge Analytica scandal, threats the government would be provoking its advertising to leverage what was a more problematic situation, in, in part trying to get Mark Zuckerberg to testify in Canada, which he wouldn't. Uh, those would have been the kind of a time for the threats, and I think it would make myself feel more comfortable with the threats against TikTok right now as part of a consistent policy where the government is aware, it becomes aware of how much it's spending and supporting and legitimating these platforms, starts acting judiciously about that. It's not, it's not what we necessarily have here. You know, we have a lot of rhetoric right now that, that TikTok is problematic and that we're going to try to hit them in through the advertising. I think that that has benefits you know it certainly is a leverage that government should use if it can but again it needs to be for sound policy and this has risks too because tiktok is i think really centrally the app most young canadians are using right now and that i think would should keep other parts of the government up at night i mean when i would do an activity in my class where i'd ask students what app they'd use the most TikTok over the past two years has been probably the number one, if not next to Instagram. What's not on there is anything like the government, you know, anything like the CBC or Radio Canada. So it really thing kind of speaks to me about, you know, the weird position that governments have been in their kind of care and stewardship of these kind of the, the kind of internet ecosystem. And they've they've really kind of depended on these kind of part of these platforms and apps like TikTok, and they use that for advertising. And I think it's a bit disingenuous all of a sudden to say, well, we're going to pull out or stop doing it, uh, given the fact there's been little movement and there's been little movement to deal with the kind of the kind of structural issues that, that are really underpinning this. Yeah. Now, you mentioned student use of TikTok and earlier alluded to the fact that the, the ban in Quebec has extended into universities, into your university. Can you talk tell us a bit about what they've announced and who's affected by it? So I've been told that to immediately uninstall TikTok from Concordia-owned and financed mobile devices, and that this has to do with the, the kind of Quebec ban on mobile devices. So kind of a trickle-down effect. And this is something which I'm very worried about. And I really feel like university institutions throughout Canada need to be careful about how they respond to a ban like this. This immediately impacts researchers and the re research of colleagues I know and respect 
who are trying to study TikTok culture. And that's an important avenue and area of research. I would say beyond that, there's constantly concerns about the threat of TikTok's algorithm and being addictive, which is a common trope. The only way of knowing its influence, the influence of that algorithm is studying it. All that research, given the kind of unclear regulations that we're being given, is on hold now. And that, I think, is a real uh, concern for academic freedom. I think it's a concern for research autonomy. And I think how it's been rolled out is also problematic because I see increasingly cybersecurity and say technical rules standing in for deeper debates about you know what is acceptable risk and, and who's effectively making these decisions. So this is something as far as I can tell came from my IT department. I mean that you know the focus has generally been on government. I don't think it's well appreciated that it starts reaching out into into other into other workplaces and to other environments and to see it in the university environment as you suggest you know has some pretty significant ramifications it it occurs that you know there's been this of course ongoing debate about chinese funded research huawei and others on university campuses it seems like this takes it even yet another step further suddenly now the university dictating what can and can't be on those apps and i think that that really also speaks to the risks here where I think there are complicated questions about research funding and research autonomy. And that's something I don't think that is just simply a problem about Canada-China relationship, but the autonomy of universities in general. And the, the lack of funding has really pushed researchers in many ways to have to rely on corporate sponsorship and support. And so there's, it's a really fraught context about being a researcher now. And I feel like t- whether we can use TikTok or not, is kind of a bit of a distraction from that. I don't think that that's really getting at the real issues. And again, if there's really massive amounts of data collection that's taking place on TikTok now, that's that's untowards compared to all the other apps there, well, that the fact that we have no mechanism for that and the only way we're dealing with it is banning it really speaks to just all the flaws that we have in the privacy system and privacy enforcement in Canada now. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Now, I wanted to, to close with this. We started getting into some of those geopolitical questions, especially around university campuses. But it does feel that as you see the reaction, it's not just in Canada, it's a number of countries uh, to TikTok. And you start seeing, I think, more and more the the geopolitical component coming into some of these kinds of considerations. We've got the U.S. president coming to Canada in, in the next couple of weeks, where it is quite possible the Canadian digital policy will be on the agenda as well. You know, is is this the the start of an increasingly, you know, an environment that increasingly involves geopolitical considerations, not just in terms of data flows, but also in terms of apps, in terms of the entire online environment. And we start seeing countries line up potentially in blocks or align in certain ways that that has an enormous impact on what what our future internet looks like. Well, I, I I would say that this is not new, and I would b- remind listeners about the my favorite media policy example in Canada, which is the Bell simultaneous substitution Super Bowl debate, which I would say was about in Let's Talk TV and one of the CRTC decisions, they tried to signal that this practice of simultaneous substitution would be ended, and so that domestic broadcasters, Canadian broadcasters couldn't replace the signals of American one, which would happen in the Super Bowl. So you could get American ads. This led to at one point in the end point coordination between the NFL bell to amend the USMCA trade agreement to 
retract or make that that clause strike out that clause. And so I think it's really important, and I think it's underlooked how much some of these geopolitical arrangements and relationships are impacting our domestic policy and do place significant limits on what rulemaking authorities like the CRTC can do. What's happening here now is that there's a shift and we see, I think, the emergence of a kind of two you know, a bipolar app ecosystem between American dominated apps and Chinese dominated apps. And ideally, I would see both of those as being fundamentally accountable to, you know, human rights and privacy law. And I think that what I would worst case scenario is what we'll see is a kind of half half hearted enforcement where it's only the Chinese block that has to abide by the kind of higher standards that we'd want for all apps. And I think that that's part of what's kind of already taking place. And, and part of what I think the real ultimate risk of TikTok is, is, is justifying a discourse, which is saying that, well, these, these are the bad apps because they're owned by these foreign companies. And these are the good apps because they're owned by these foreign companies. And I think there needs to be a much more sensible approach to how we talk about internet privacy, data security, that are ones that are really kind of fundamentally grounded, I think, in, in human rights. And, and that's that's not what I'm hearing here. And I think that that's, that's one part of this. And I think really shows how much some of these geopolitical concerns are really yeah, influencing some of these different, you know, related issues, which is around digital policy. Yeah, no, absolutely fascinating issue. And I think the starting point is to start talking about it and and putting it on the agenda. I certainly, you know, I've done a fair amount of work in Asia uh, with a number of different countries. And that that region is dominated by Chinese-based apps, Chinese payment apps, Chinese chat apps, uh, and the like. And the the influence of some of the the, the American uh, companies that are so so prominent here are far less prominent there. That's not true for Facebook, but it's true in a lot of other uh, for a lot of the other ones. And so it's fascinating to see see how the world is starting to divide and how we're needing to start to consider some of these kinds of issues. Uh, Fenwick, thanks so much for for coming on the podcast and helping to start that kind of conversation. Well, Michael, it's great, and I you know I wish this was something simple, but the TikTok one is is fundamentally weird to me, and I hope I helped at least explain why I'm so so confused by it. <laughs> I think you absolutely did. Thanks again. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.